O God, by your Spirit, tell us what we need to hear and show us what we ought to do to obey Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. Our scripture reading this morning is Romans chapter 13, verses 8 through 14, as we continue the series through Romans, reading it and preaching it backwards, if you will. So chapter 13, verses 8 through 14, hear now the word of the Lord. Owe no one anything except to love one another, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Besides this, you know what time it is. How it is now the moment for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we became believers. The night is far gone, the day is near. Let us then lay aside the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us live honorably as in the day, not in reveling and drunkenness, not in debauchery and licentiousness, not in quarreling and jealousy. Instead, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As I was walking down the street one day, a man came up to me and asked me what the time was that was on my watch. And I said, does anybody really know what time it is? Anybody know? What band that is? Chicago, who said that? Look at you, Ed. Well, Ed, yeah, you're old enough to know about that. <laughs> right, that's the band Chicago. I'm not a, not a huge fan of Chicago, but I like that particular song. I think it's rather philosophical if we think about that a little bit. I mean, does anyone really know what time it is? Well, in our text this morning, the Apostle Paul assumes we do. He assumes that we and the Christians in Rome, Christians today like you and me, that we know, or at least we should know, we ought to know what time it is. Romans 13, 11, you know, Paul says, what time it is. So what time is it, according to Paul? Well, he tells us, tells you, I'll put it in those terms. That's how Paul expresses it. He tells you it's time to love your neighbor as yourself. And this morning, I want to think about that. I want to think about that command, and I, I want to start by thinking about time. Because after all, it's about time. And that's the title of my message. So let's think about time. A pastor who was known for his lengthy sermons Notice a man get up and leave during his preaching, right in the middle of it. And the man returned just before the end of the service, and the pastor was kind of curious, and he came up to the guy after the service, and he said, you know, why, why did you leave uh, in the middle of my sermon? And the guy said, well, I went to get a haircut. And the pastor said, like, well, why didn't you go before the service? He said, I didn't need one then.
Now, for most of us in the Western world, that's how we think about time, right? We think about time as this linear sequence of events, as these passing moments, like the guy getting his hair cut, right? And the sermon was too long. It's this, it's this elapsing of time in a sequence of moments. You can put up that first slide. This is obvious kind of stuff, right? For us, as we relate to time, there is past, there is present, there is future. That's how we experience time as humans. But what about God? What is God's relationship with time? Now, that's an incredibly complex issue. If you want to talk about a philosophical issue, that is an issue for people like Walter Storff and people like Warenga over here who, by the way, Ed, I read your book this week on immutability, or your, at least your chapter in your book on immutability and eternity. It's a topic that philosophers have given a tremendous amount of time to, and I won't claim to be able to do it with that precision, with philosophical precision, but I can give you what is the Reformed Orthodox view of God's relationship to time, and that is God, unlike us, doesn't have a past, a present, and a future. For God, it's like that movie, that award-winning movie. God, for God, everything, He experiences it, everything, everywhere, all at once. He doesn't experience time like us. Put up that next slide. For God, those things, as you see, His relationship with time is, encompasses all of those things simultaneously. And you can see that in Reformed Orthodoxy, God is both outside of time and in time as well. He has a totally different relationship with time. We think of the words of the Apostle Peter. Do not ignore this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like one day. Or as we hear about Jesus in Hebrews 13.8, He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God exists outside of time. He is the self-existent one. He describes Himself as, I am that I am. As Augustine put it about God, speaking to God, Thy present day does not give way to tomorrow, nor indeed does it take place of yesterday. Thy present day is eternity. God has a very different relationship to time. He is outside of time, but as I mentioned, He's also in time as well. And Nicholas Wolsterstorff, the, the philosopher, has done a lot of work about that, arguing about God being in time. And what he's talking about in that is that God, if you look at the Bible, he acts in history, particularly in a redemptive or covenantal way. There's this progressive revelation. God enters into time and deals with his people, meets with his people in this progressive manner, in this plan of redemption and what that means is that we as believers, we who live within time, as we read the unfolding of the history of the Bible, the history of redemption, we grow in knowledge about who God is, His nature, His character, His plan of salvation, what He wants us to be. We learn about that in our past, present, and future through time. And so the practical impact of that is that we know more about God's character from the New Testament than we do from the Old Testament. Right? We all understand that. We have a fuller revelation, particularly in Jesus Christ. You can take down that slide. 
Okay, so why am I telling you that? Well, one reason I'm telling you that is because God's awesome, right? It's this amazing thing to even wrap your head around about the glory of God and who He is and how He's different from us. But there's another reason I'm telling you that, and that relates to our text this morning. It relates to loving our neighbor. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, what does this time stuff have to do with the command to love our neighbor? Well, let's think about that a little bit. Let's think about Paul's imperative here. The main imperative of our text is to love our neighbors as ourselves. Let's think about that as we experience that, as that unfolded in time. Let's look to the past when that commandment first appears in the Bible. And it first appears in the book of Leviticus, Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. This is what it says, You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against any of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. That's the first time that command appears in the history of redemption, in the unfolding of God's progressive revelation. That's where it appears, Leviticus 19, 18, the first time that commandment appears in the Old Testament. But the shocking thing is, that's also the last time that appears in the Old Testament. Think about that for a moment. Think about how fundamental that commandment is to the Christian religion. And it appears just once in the Old Testament, in that verse in Leviticus. You can take out your concordance. You can do the search. You won't find it in the Bible, in the Old Testament, I should say. You won't find it. Even in the prophets, you won't find it. there. The first and last mention is there in Leviticus 19, 18, in that verse. And frankly, it's not even a verse. It's a little portion of a verse. It's Leviticus 19, verse 8b. Little b. That's what we do when we have verse segments, right? We, we break them into little letters. Well, Leviticus 19, 8b. And if you read that text, if you read that chapter of Leviticus, you'll find this incredibly important commandment kind of tucked there among a lot of stuff we don't believe or think apply to us anymore. Things about how you cut your hair, you know, things about tattoos and, and stuff like that. It's, it's not like that whole chapter is about that subject. It's just like tucked in there. And there it is. Now, I'm not saying that the concept of loving our neighbor is not in the Old Testament, but the actual statement, love your neighbor as yourself, appears once in the entire Old Testament, and then we come to the New Testament, and all of a sudden, this rabbi comes out of nowhere. And he's asked by a bunch of Pharisees, you know, what are the greatest command, what's the greatest commandment? And he answers it this way in Matthew 22, 37 through 39. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all, all, the law and the prophets. Think about it. You know, when you listen to an album, you remember albums? Most of you don't, probably. <laughs> we used to talk about deep tracks, right? Those kind of songs that were number nine or ten on the album. Sometimes they weren't very good, but the deep tracks. Sometimes there's, there's shows about playing deep tracks of albums of, of old times, right? 
Leviticus 19, 8, 8b, is a, that's a deep track, right, Jesus? He went all the way back. He pulls that out and says, this is one of the two commandments. You can take the whole law of God, boil it down, boom, two things. That's kind of extraordinary when you think about it. It's rather small significance to the Old Testament appearing just once. Now, certainly things happen in the intertestamental intertestamental period, Second Temple Judaism. I could go into all that stuff, but it's amazing, isn't it? It seems to come out of nowhere in the unfolding of Revelation. And then something even more extraordinary happens. We come to our text this morning. And what does Paul say in our text this morning? As we unfold more time, right, from Jesus to Paul, Paul picks up on that little verse, right? That little Leviticus 19, 18b. Chapter 13, verses 8 through 10. Listen to what Paul says. Owe no one anything except to love one another, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Paul says there's not really two. It all comes down to this. This is the fulfilling of the law. This is the entirety of what God wants us to do. One command, it's all summed up in this, love your neighbor as yourself. And if you think it's an aberration in Paul, it's not. He does it in Galatians 5.14, where he says it even more clearly, for the law, for he says, for the whole law is summed up in a single commandment. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. James does it too in James chapter 2, verse 8, basically saying the same thing. Now think about that. In the evolution in time, in the unfolding of progressive revelation, we go from a half verse in Leviticus, Jesus takes it to these two big commandments, and then we get to a singular commandment from Paul and James, a moral singularity, if you will, that the essence of the Christian religion, that it's all about this, one single command, love your neighbor as yourself. And that's how that command evolved in our experience of past, present, and future in the unfolding of time. But remember what I said about God. God isn't in time. He's uh, it's not subject to that kind of experience of time in past, present, and future. And the reason I'm telling you that is because this commandment that came to us over thousands of years, getting down to this one singularity, for God was always there. It's part of His character. He has revealed it to us in time, but He has it in Him in eternity. He's telling us, this is what I've always wanted from you. This is the prime directive. This is what I'm calling you to be as my creation. This is what I want you to do. I want you to love your neighbor as yourself. And what Paul is saying to us in this text is that it's about time that you learned to love your neighbor as yourself. This is what God wants from us. And Paul is saying it's about time to start doing it. 
And Paul tells us it's about time for two reasons. Two reasons this morning that Paul says it's about time that we learn to love our neighbors as ourselves. And the first reason is, is because time is running out. Why does Paul say this to them? He says it to them because time is running out. There's a sense of urgency here. It's about time. Romans 13, verse 11, Besides this, you know what time it is. How it is now the moment for you to wake from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we became believers. The night is far gone. The day is near. Do you feel the sense of urgency? Paul's saying it's time to get up. He's like, you know, I won't, I won't embarrass my son, but you know, if you have a teenage child, you know, no one that I would know, and you're trying to get them up in the, in the morning for school, it's time to get up. It's time to get dressed. It's time to get busy. That's what Paul was saying to that congregation and by implication by the Holy Spirit is saying to us, it's time to get up. It's time to stop fooling around. That's exactly what Paul says. It's not time. It's not time, according to Paul, for drunkenness and debauchery and for licentiousness, for quarreling and jealousy. Stop screwing around. It's time to wake up. It's urgent, Paul says. It's time to get serious, to get dressed, to get serious about your faith. Are you serious about your faith? Are you walking around in some type of slumber? Paul says it's time to get up, to put on the Lord Jesus Christ, and to make no provision for the flesh, to gratify its desires. It's about time you learn to love your neighbor as yourself. I don't want to trigger anybody this morning, but Paul tells you to get woke. The biblical version, right? That's what he's saying. Wake up. You don't get it. You're sleeping through it. Are you serious about your faith or are you sleeping? Paul here is trying to wake us up. Pink Floyd has this great song, Time. And it's about how time kind of, you can't catch up to it. It's always coming after you, right? Don't you ever feel that? And particularly the speed, it seems like time speeds up as you get older. The years go by faster and faster. And as part of that song, when in the lyrics it says, and then one day you find ten years have got behind you. No one told you when to run. You missed the starting gun. This is Paul firing the starting gun in your ear. Wake up. It's about time. Time is running out. Why is time running out? Because Jesus is coming back. The end is coming. Somewhat similar to what my mom would say in, in a way, like to, to motivate your behavior. She would say, if I was messing around, you better shape up because your father's going to be home soon. Paul is saying, get up, get dressed, stop screwing around because Jesus is coming back soon. And he's told you what he wants you to be doing. Not debauchery, not licentiousness, not jealousy, not quarreling. He wants you to be loving your neighbor as yourself. Get to it, because the end is near. 
Now you're saying, Pastor, well, it's been 2,000 years, no Jesus. Fair enough. But those words of Paul are as true today for you as they were back then. Salvation is nearer to us now than when we became believers. The night is far gone. The day is near. It is now the moment for you to wake up from sleep. What's Paul saying? He's saying we are running out of time. In biblical eschatology, we are at the point in eschatology, right? We are in this present age, and then there is the age to come. There is an end of this age, and that's the end. There's not going to be another covenant. There's not going to be another Christ. There's going to be the end when Christ comes and judges. And so Paul says, you need to wake up. It's time to get up. It's about time you learn to love your neighbor as yourself because time is running out. That's the first reason he gives us. The second reason it's about time we learn to love our neighbors as ourselves is because love is the only thing that can save us. Love is the only thing that can save us. I preached Romans backwards. You know that by now. We've looked at chapter 16. We saw this diverse and dedicated church, all those greetings, all those different people. In chapter 15, we saw that these people were divided. There's a real problem in this church. It's painful. It's gut-wrenching. In chapter 14, he tells us exactly what that division is. He describes it for us, and he gives us a plan to deal with it. And what's that plan about? He didn't set up a study committee. He didn't give some type of you know, adjudication of it. He said, this is how you have to treat one another. Don't judge. Don't harm. Be concerned for the minority if you are in the majority. And then we come here to chapter 13, to this very text. And beloved, this is the big bang moment. This is the origin of Paul's entire argument. He's dealing with a problem in a church where people are divided. And this is where he begins. This is the bedrock. This is the foundation. This is the genesis of his argument. And it falls right to that singular command, an obligation he puts on them. Verse 8, it is an obligation. He says, oh, no one anything except to love one another. That's your debt. That's your obligation. Love one another. Love your neighbor as yourself. In the midst of a contentious theological conflict, Paul appeals to love. Like another Paul, Paul says here, the apostle, all you need is love. I know you probably think I sound like a Unitarian minister or something like that, but that's what the text says. All you need is love. Why does Paul go there? Why is that the place he goes to settle this problem in the church? Since I've been using a lot of musical references, I'll use a little Huey Lewis because Paul understood the power of love. He understood that only love can transform people. Only love can save us. That's how people change. Love changes people. One of the themes in uh, Victor Hugo's play, Les Miserables, the, 
famous play. I mean, some of you probably have seen the musical. You know the main character in that story, the, pre, the protagonist, Jean Valjean. He's this guy, right? He gets out of prison. He goes and he stays at this bishop's house. There's that great scene in that story. And in the middle of the night, he, he, take, he takes off with a silver cup. He gets caught by the police who know who he is, know what kind of person he is. They suspect he's taken this. He tells that, the, well, the bishop gave it to me. They take him back to the bishop's house. And there he is. He's ripped off this, right? He's, he's robbed this guy, this silver cup from this bishop. And he's standing there. And the bishop comes to the door. And the police are like, this guy's telling us that you gave him this. Is that true? And the bishop responds, looking Valjean right in the face and says, that is right. But my friend, you left too early. Surely something slipped your mind. You forgot I gave these also. Would you leave the best behind? And then he hands him two silver candlesticks as well. And in that moment and in that story, it was that act of love that transformed Valjean's life that turned it around, that allowed him to live for other people and to love other people because love transforms. Love taught him how to love. And that's what the Bible is about. It's about God showing us love to teach us how to love. How is the gospel expressed in John 3.16? For God knew how much sin we had and our inability in and of ourselves to get us out of the trouble. And so he took an accounting ledger with all of our sins and drew a line through it, and you're all okay, go live. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave. He gave His only Son so that everyone who believes in Him may not perish but have eternal life. You see, beloved, the imperative of loving our neighbor flows from God loving us, revealed in ultimately the love of Jesus Christ. 1 John 4.11, Beloved, since God loves us so much, we also ought to love one another. Do you see the connection? Jesus in John 15, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. The God who is immutable, the God who is eternal has been trying to teach us how to love one another. And so what does he do? He does the grandest gesture of all. He shows us. This is what it means. He shows us in the cross of Christ how much He loves us. And He says, this is what I want you to do with one another. Since God loved us so much, we also ought to love one another. It all comes down to that. Paul says it's about time you learned to love your neighbor as yourself because love is the only thing that can save us. And it did save us. Love saved us. That's the lesson of the cross. That's what God has been trying to teach us. It's about time we learned. it. As I was preparing this sermon, 
I came across a lot of songs about, with the title, It's About Time. You can Google that. Most of those songs are laments. They're songs about how long it has taken for certain things to happen. How long, particularly, how long it has taken for the human race to learn basic lessons. Which really boil down to loving one another. Tomorrow is Juneteenth, right? A federal holiday commemorating the emancipation of enslaved African Americans. How long did humanity practice slavery? It took us as a nation a hundred years from the Declaration of Independence to the Emancipation. As Lincoln noted in the Gettysburg Address, And when those shackles came off, somebody must have said, well, it's about time. Think about how long it took for women to gain the right to vote. I'm guessing some suffragette somewhere said, it's about time. Or think about civil rights. Or think about sex abuse in the church. Or think about Me Too or whatever you want to say. People who have been on the other side of those things, oppressed by those things, the way we've treated one another, they must have been saying, it's about time. It's about time. How many years must a mountain exist before it's washed to the sea? And how many years can people exist before they're allowed to be free? That's Bobby D. How many years? I can't believe the news today, or I can't close my eyes and make it go away. How long, how long must we sing this song? That's you too, right? How long? It's about time. How many psalms picture the psalmist, the believer, saying to God, how long? What is that a cry for? I want justice. I want righteousness. I want healing. I want you to fix this broken world. How long are you going to take, God? But sometimes God says to his people, how long? Numbers 14.11, the Lord said to Moses, how long will this people despise me? And how long will they refuse to believe in me in spite of all the signs I have done among them? And God is saying to us in this text, how long will it take for these people to follow one simple command. I'm not trying to make it difficult. I'm not giving you 613 commands. I'm not even giving you 10. I boil it down to one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. You have one job. How long? It's about time. It's as simple as that. Like that hymn says, what more can he say than to you he hath said? Love your neighbor as yourself. How long will it take us to learn? It's a reminder about why we need the gospel. About why we need Jesus. Why we need the cross. Why we need the good news. Because we can't even keep one simple commandment. That's why we need to know the transforming love of Christ. That's why Christ has to come into our hearts to do that work that transforms us, to orient ourselves to his ways. And even then we struggle. This text has one simple message. 
It's about time you learn to love your neighbor as yourself. That is the fulfilling of the entire eternal law of God. It's how he wants us to live. 